I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. In the past, the idea of loosening occupational licensing requirements from everyone from hair braiders to those working in nail salons has had some resistance but has gained traction uh, in recent years. Now the question is, should doctors and lawyers also have some of that occupational licensing uh, requirement reduced? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Well, when we get to occupational licensing reform, there is one inside source. It's Shoshana Weissman, a fellow at the R Street Institute. Uh, she works on occupational licensing reform, social media, regulatory policy. She's also the head of R Street's digital media, and she joins us on the line. Shoshana, thanks for coming back on the show. Thank you so much for having me. You know I love both you and Utah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great place, and we've had some good success here in terms of some licensing reform uh, in recent years. Uh, you're looking now at one that is interesting and has been controversial in the past. Say, you know, for, for doctors and lawyers, we've got to keep that, you know, massive amount of requirements and licensing in place. Uh, but you say that the pandemic has shown that there are some things that maybe could be worth loosening up a little. It's nuts. A couple of years ago, I I looked at these kind of reforms and thought maybe one day we'll be able to make it a little bit better. Um, But now uh, the pandemic changed things so much. And it's it's interesting because obviously these are two kind of very, very high skilled, high licensed professions. And um, they're ones that, you know, can have dangerous consequences if you're scammed by a lawyer or you don't get good representation or a bad doctor. I mean, there's you know, you can only imagine what that could do, but it doesn't mean we can't reform them and make it so that people have more access to care and access to justice. And during the pandemic, on the doctor side, I mean, medical professionals of all kinds had to wear, walk, uh, work across state lines. Um, retired ones had to go back to work because there were hot spots all over. You never knew where someone would have to go. So flexibility of all kinds was just so important. And then when it came to lawyer licensing, the bar exam was awful. Oh, my gosh. People were urinating in their seats to avoid getting a failing grade on the bar. The Mm. bar was failing people for no reason, deciding they're cheating. Um, The whole system was completely ridiculous. And there's, you know, a lot of people decided, why don't we just abolish the bar? Um, So it's very strange that a pandemic had this outcome that, 
you know, when it began, I didn't realize how big the impact on licensing would be. But it, it was nuts to me that some states said, hey, if you didn't pass the bar yet, like you haven't taken the bar, you can still go work. And other states said, you know, uh, you can come back from retirement if you have a lapsed license, no big deal. If you're a foreign medical school graduate, you can still go to work here at a lower level. Mm-hmm. These are things that you know, I would have never dreamed being able to happen before. Oh, that's fascinating. So let's let's talk about that. You mentioned some of the loosening. Let's start with the, the doctors uh, working across state lines. Telehealth obviously emerged as a real thing that I think would have been tough uh, even just a, a year or two ago. What are some of the other things that uh, you're looking at in terms of loosening? I think, again, we all agree there are certain standards you've, you've got to have if you're a heart surgeon and uh, dealing with that kind of stuff. But what are some of the other things we're looking at in terms of loosening that might actually give people more access to quality health care? For sure. So there's so many different kinds of things. One really big thing is scope of practice reform, making sure that pharmacists can administer all kinds of vaccines to people of all ages. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very patchwork. It's hard to say what the case is in any state. Um, Utah's regulations are overall pretty good, but there's still some room for reform there, making sure pharmacists can also prescribe over-the-counter birth control as well as tobacco cessation products to help people quit smoking. Um, And there's all kinds of things like that where if we allow pharmacists to do what they can still administer and make sure it's safe, they have the training to be able to do this. And it just gives people more access to care. Same with nurses, um, making sure advanced practice nurse practitioners are able to... um, uh, they, you know, basically uh, uh, provide treatment to people um, to take patients one-on-one, not always practice under a doctor. Um, where it's the case that these these reforms have happened, prices go down and access to care goes up. And then there's telehealth, like you're saying, not just working across state lines on a more permanent basis, you know, moving from one spot to another, but treating a patient who's virtually in another state. Um, there's all different kinds of regulations that need to be reformed to make that happen. Both Florida and Arizona have done a really good job with that. Utah's had some progress, but there, there's more to do here. Um, just because you never know when there's a specialist that someone would really need in another state. And then really making sure the mobility is good, that someone can go work in other states, that they don't have to go through months and months of renewing their license if they already have it. So it's all pretty modest stuff, but it's stuff that really matters. You know, yeah. we're stopping access to care for no reason. And the final thing I'll just say is that there have been some proposals to allow foreign trained medical doctors to work here if we agree that their credentials are equivalent. And if not, let them transfer into the system. Don't have them start from zero. If they were, you know, a prominent surgeon somewhere else, let them at least not start from zero. So it's a few years rather than 10 years to go through the process. Uh, I think that one's so important. I've I've met uh, so many people like that who were, you know, well-known, well-respected uh, experts in their field, and then they come over and they're, they're you know, driving Uber and, and going through a decades-long process to, to start all over again. I think that's a, a real crucial piece. Let's hit real quickly uh, a couple of those uh, requirements, the loosening as it relates to the justice system. How, again, can that create a greater access uh, to the justice system and, and to justice overall. Definitely. Same kind of thing here, except so with universal licensing recognition, which I think 16 states have um, after Arizona was the first to do it back in 2019, it never covers uh, lawyers because lawyers are generally regulated by the judiciary. So there's not really the authority for the legislature to be able to go in and do it. And I looked into, um, you know, from what states can you be a lawyer and go work in other states? And it's, it's just such a patchwork. There's no predictability. Some state might accept most states, and then one of those states might only accept that one state. And it's 
you know, you're a lawyer. You can go do that anywhere, and there shouldn't be something stopping you from doing it in person, virtually, from moving to another state. So this is just, I mean, you know, let lawyers move. And also the the bar exam, as a lot of lawyers have, have discussed, is just not super relevant to the work you end up doing as a lawyer. So it's kind of arbitrary gatekeeping. Um, that doesn't expand access to justice. Even um, some people have considered, hey, what about making law school an undergrad degree so you don't have to waste four years before you get to the real meat of it? Or um, doing diploma privileges where you don't have to take a bar exam or reforming the bar exam. I mean, there's really endless opportunity here. Um, both Utah and Arizona are testing, allowing um, non-lawyers to own law firms. And that investment can have a real good outcome, allow people to get on their feet and to give people justice. Um, it's just it, there's so much opportunity there that hasn't been explored. And, there, you know, some people are hesitant, but even the American Bar Association is kind of open to it, which yeah. is a really, really encouraging sign. Oh, that, that is a good sign. And that was going to be my last question. I'm going to sneak in really quick here. Uh, and that is that uh, with both the, the medical association, with the bar uh, and uh, lawyers, often we see regulations as a way to actually keep competition out. Uh, those who can afford the lawyers and the lobbyists, uh, you know, actually benefit because the little guys can't uh, can't compete uh, with that kind of stuff in terms of all the regulatory requirements. Are we seeing anything there? Is that part of the resistance here, or is there just enough movement and intrigue by what's happened through the pandemic that maybe we've cracked a code uh, that will open up some of these things? I think it's the latter. There's always lobbies involved, but even during the pandemic, a lot of the lobbies realize, hey. We kind of locked ourselves into a system that doesn't work for us in the worst of times. Um, the American Medical Association is the worst. They're always lobbying to stop expansion of scope of practice. But the American Bar Association has been a little bit more open. So it's always going to vary by state. There's always different groups. But um, overall, even the interest groups have kind of opened up a little understanding what's going on. Uh, that's fantastic. Shoshana Weissman, fellow at the R Street Institute, works on occupational licensing reform, social media regulatory policy. Of course, we always get in Section 230 in there. Uh, just have to get a mention. Uh, she's also the head of R Street's digital media. Shoshana, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. All right. Uh, again, that's really important stuff in terms of it's not not having any regulation. There is a role for all of that, to be sure. But one of the things the pandemic has shown us is that we can do things different and we should be open to that. We should be transparent about that. We should have great debates about that. And then we should do what is going to be best for individuals to get access to care or access to the justice system. Those are good things to be thinking about. With Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office to meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.